Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The Built by Bama online podcast presents T. Watts and TR on this Thursday, June the 4th, 2020. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. Tim, we skipped last week because we had some breaking news on the recruiting front, but we're back in the saddle and ready to go as we move into the month of June, Tim. And it looks like Looks like we're going to have some sports starting to crank back up between the PGA Tour. We heard from the NBA here in the last 24 hours or so. You're starting to get a little bit excited, Tim, as we get perhaps to a, a return to competitive athletics on cable television. I am. I mean, you know how I am. I watch spinning sports. If they're playing it, I'll try to I'll try to sneak it in and watch it. But um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. It's it's. Uh, it's moved this quickly in some ways, and I'm surprised. It looks like, not surprised, um, that baseball is having such a major issue with with, with money. Get the money right. It's always the same, man. I've never seen a more a product survive despite itself like Major League <laughs> Baseball. I'm not sure they can survive this. The way the look is just terrible. The optics are awful, yeah, dude. The optics are like they don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, it's just, it's it's not it's not ideal. But yes, definitely excited. What do you think about the NBA doing this thing in Orlando? And I'll give the NBA credit, man. They know who their stars are, right? It's like they really should just do probably sixteen teams, eight from the Western Conference, eight from the Eastern Conference, and go ahead and just play this thing off. But they know Zion isn't in one of those top 16, and they know a guy they, like Dame Lillard isn't one of those top 16. They are not, so. leaving, not leaving out my Pelicans. I could have told you that. Zion is a show. Not only that, they got quite the road to make the playoffs. If I'm a Grizzly fan, I'm a little livid. They're going, oh, they're, gosh. They're going down the SEC West schedule, the Grizz are, and um, uh, Pelicans are out there in the ACC. Yeah, exactly. They're in uh, the Atlantic division yeah. of the ACC, not cruising. even the SEC West. Yeah, cruising, cruising. They're gonna get you. They're gonna get you some Zion though before this season's hey, over, I, aren't they? I need some Zion, so I'm good. With <laughs> oh, some vitamin Z is what this sports country needs right now. Speaking of New Orleans, speaking of New Orleans, Tim, your New Orleans Saints have been in the headlines here in the last, oh, 18 hours or so. How about the overnight hours, by the way, for both Drew Brees, quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, and now Mike Norvell, who apparently did not have the individual 
sort of dialogue that he spoke to with a news outlet here in the last day or so in relation to the social unrest in our country. And now you've got a threatened boycott by the Florida State players for workouts. And uh, I see where Drew Brees on Thursday morning did issue an apology uh, for his comments on Wednesday in relation to the uh, George Floyd situation and, and just the situation in general in our country right now. Yeah, I think, you know, I think sometimes it's best to just listen, you know, and shut up. You don't always, I know everybody feels they got to say something, but I don't think everybody can say something. I don't think we're, we got that many smart people in the world. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but with Breeze, it's just, it's just an awkward situation. Look, I'm all about having our opinions and everything else, but I feel like Drew was talking about something different than what everybody else was talking about. I mean, I, I mean, I get he he loves America. I get all of that. Um, I don't know anybody that doesn't. But at the same time, that's not really the question, you know, question. As far as Mike Norvell, I'm you know I'm waking up to the news that you know he might have misled. If he misled his players, Ugh. or if he misled the media that he's had woke talks and he understood talks and didn't even have them. I can't even, I can't imagine what the saints locker room is feeling right now. And I can't imagine what the Florida state locker room is feeling right now. You know, there's gotta be an explanation. I was glad to see breeze apologize. I think he got off on one subject to the other. The optics were really bad. I mean, that city loved, you know, that's a, that, that city loves drew breeze. His teammates have loved him. So, I mean, you know, I'm a forgive and forget guy. I think he owes. He's got to make up a little bit, and I, you know, I think he's the kind of guy that does. He does a lot for that city of New Orleans. So I think he has. I think he'll go out of his way to make up for this. I think you said the key words in both these instances, and in it's locker room. I mean, that's where Mike Norvell's going to have to make this thing right at Florida State, and it's where Drew uh, is going to have to make it right. And I think. I think in both instances, right, you talk about a head coach in college football, especially in the South. You talk about a starting quarterback in the most, uh, you know, scrutinized, in, in my opinion, league in all of maybe the sports world. And that's the National Football League. I think a lot of times these guys, these folks feel like they have to answer and go in depth on every question they get. And I agree. There are cases where. You're, you're probably better served and we love transparency right in the media we want every question to bring back a thoughtful real answer and then sometimes when we get that and it doesn't match up with perhaps the temperature of the climate or society uh those folks get hammered for it and so you don't like that either I will uh, but you, you just got to be aware man you got it's like mike leach with the tweet a month and a half ago or so i mean it was I'm sure uh, meant intention was not what uh, it ended up being associated with, but you gotta you gotta be where your feet are, you know. I'll, I'll say this though, we're talking about two completely different things in my opinion. With Breeze, we're talking about foot and mouth saying yeah. thing, not understanding what you're saying. I mean, if Mike Norville, and I'm not saying he did. I don't know enough to know that he did. Uh, but Marvin Wilson, obviously Wilson, who's probably their best player. If he didn't get a one-on-one talk captain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who got a one-on-one talk if he did, but my point is Drew might've stuck his foot in his mouth and said, said, not said the right thing at the right time. That's one thing, but to completely lie about something, that's, that's, that's another, that's, that's, that's something that's gotta be explained away. So we're trying different things to me. 
trust is everything, man, and especially in that sport. And you talk about a situation where you're already the new guy is Mike Norvell, and you're not just the new guy. You're going to have some veteran players like Marvin, who I'm sure still have a strong attachment to the previous head coach, Willie Taggart, who, by the way, was the first African-American head football coach in Florida State program history. So uh, interesting situations to monitor around both the college football and national football uh, league there. We'll get into some Alabama recruiting talk coming up here in just a little bit. What we're going to do today with Tim is we're going to look specifically at state of Florida recruiting in the Nick Saban era. That'll take us a minute because, uh, as we know, there are plenty of plenty of uh, signees and future stars that Alabama has plucked from the Sunshine State. So we look forward to getting into that coming up a little bit later in the podcast. There was some more news directly associated with Alabama football here in the last couple of days, Tim. You had a couple of 2017 signees in Tyrell Shavers and Markel Benton enter the NCAA transfer portal. I guess in both instances, given the roles that they played over the last couple of three years, not huge surprises. Of those two, maybe Shavers, because there was going to be some competition in this preseason with a couple of the prime targets from last year moving on at his position, as we know. Um, how did the, the news of those two guys making the decision uh, to move on strike you? Uh, it didn't really surprise me. I mean, with Shavers, you know, you can almost go back to the uh, Talia example we used of having a spring to compete, sort of figure out where you're I mean, it's not just for the coaches to see where you're at. You want to know where you're at. And I think sure. Shavers missed that mark. Uh, you know, at best, the absolute best case scenario would have been he's the third best receiver on the team, the third option, not counting Najee out of the backfield or, or even the tight end, to be honest with you. So, and then also, you know, Michi, I've told you several times out, I mean, we've discussed several times that Alabama seems to really be high on Michi. I know a lot of the players talked about him. Um, and, you know, I've heard a lot of talk about him. So probably a good time for him to move on if he wants to finish out, have a couple of years left to play. You know, the disappointing thing with him is expectations were so high. He was sort of the, you know, he was a third or fourth wheel in that great two-year cycle that uh, Alabama signed for wide receivers. And he had so many physical gifts, we thought, because of his testing numbers. But they never just really, really played out. They never really the the parts didn't equal you know equal the sum you probably wanted in that situation. You know there was a time not too long ago, and this is kind of in connection with some of those physical uh, measurables and things like that with Terrell Shavers, where we thought that it was going to be all about receivers that were six four and up, right? And Terrell Shavers at six five six six, and in large part that was because of Calvin Johnson. Just an absolute freak of nature. Uh, the Georgia Tech product went on to the Detroit Lions. Uh, I guess what we're finding out is exactly how special Calvin Johnson really was, Tim, because really there aren't all that many 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six receivers out there as maybe as much as we anticipated a decade ago or so. Calvin is kind of still that guy. Yeah, I think, you know, it's the, you know, it's the set. The problem with a lot of those guys end up more sort of in that tight end. Patrick Turner, do you remember him from Nashville? Yeah, USC. Yeah, it was a six foot five wide receiver. The, 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 uh, 
Mike Williams of USC was that kind of guy? Problem was they got off the line slow because they were so tall. They weren't quick. Uh, and they couldn't get separation because they were long striders. That was a big part. It's sort of how you end up shifting the tight end if you think about it. So yeah, Calvin is that rarity that had that elite speed at that size. You know, you know, Julio Jones, AJ Green, they're not as not as tall as that, but they're the same way. And if you remember, I told everybody, you know, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, that was not a fast man either. Keyshawn yeah. made a bunch of great. Here's the thing: if you're making a bunch of great acrobatic catches. You're not open. You're not open. That means you have problems with your hands. I mean, not problems with your hands. You have problems with your speed, your separation. Jarvis Landry is a classic example. He is a A plus wide receiver as far as catching the ball, running routes, and you know using his body and everything. But he's often covered because he doesn't have that speed and quickness. So when you get to college, but especially the NFL, that's the things that are going to separate you because your quarterback's lucky to have three or four seconds for the most part. You don't have a whole lot of time to count five Mississippi to get open. Yeah, when you're Terrell Shavers and you come in in the same class with Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, and Devontae Smith, and we go out there and watch individual periods, and you watch the 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 release ability and the get-off ability of those guys compared to Terrell Shavers, you knew that was going to be – the area where he had to make up the most ground just getting in and out of his cuts things like that that are difficult for bigger receivers meanwhile you've got guys that are six foot six one like the uh aforementioned trio and um that's not as much of a problem for them but we certainly wish the best of terrell shavers yeah he's a, he's a grad transfer he's got two years to play he can he can help a power five program somewhere still. Absolutely. You know, it, if he wants to go to a smaller program closer to home, SMU or somewhere, he could certainly help them. You never know how he's going to develop. I mean, yeah. I even a TCU. It. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of options for a guy like that, a guy that's been, and also think of the benefits of having played for, you know, Mike Loxley and some of the guys that he's that he's played for and on top of the experience he's got, look who he's caught balls from. Jalen Hurts, you know, Tua, he's caught practice balls. He's caught balls from those guys, even Mac Jones. A lot of experience, you know, winner. You know, he's been in a winning locker room. So there's a lot to love about him. Yeah, maybe he follows Talia up to Maryland. Who knows? I mean, he's got the kind of relationships he's built, too, during his time at Alabama. Markel Benton, uh, the veteran inside linebacker, uh, you know, probably a case now with Dylan Moses hopefully getting back healthy, Josh McMillan back healthy. Uh, you played the two freshmen so much last year. You have a wealth of talent that you've signed in this 2020 class here recently. Situation where Alabama is probably recruited beyond Markel Benton and uh, with the opportunity to perhaps go somewhere else and, and be more of a factor at linebacker. That makes a lot of sense there as well. It's the Built by Bama online podcast. It's T. Watts and TR on a Thursday. If you haven't already, we would certainly appreciate you subscribing to the Built by Bama online podcast. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a review. We would sincerely appreciate it. Now, we're going to get into the BOL Roundtable mailbag coming up a little bit later in the program as well. But, Tim, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive headlong into state of Florida recruiting in the Nick Saban era. We're going to talk about players we're going to talk about starting points for when all this got underway under Nick Saban with Alabama down there in the state of Florida we'll talk about some recruiters of note 
from the Alabama camp in previous years. It's a pretty wide a list of guys that have made strong contributions on the recruiting trail down there. We'll do all that and more when T. Watts and T.R., part of the Built by Bama online podcast, returns right after this. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of the farmer's dog we make fresh food for dogs we started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog jada when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food the farmer's dog food isn't fancy it's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs it's better for them and easier for you Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, Tim, let's do it. Let's head down to the state of Florida and get into some Sunshine State recruiting in the Nick Saban era. And kind of like the rest of the recruiting effort under Nick Saban upon his arrival in Tuscaloosa in 2007, took a little bit of time. To crank up, I think really you look to that 2009 class, and when it got going, it started on the panhandle with a running back from uh, Escambia High School there in Pensacola, Florida, Trent Richardson. But you also started to tap South Florida with a guy that I don't think a lot of Alabama fans probably associate with the start of Alabama success down there in Dade and Broward counties, but that guy was Ed Stenson. Uh, an outside linebacker when he came to Alabama grew into a defensive lineman. But would you say that that 2009 class sort of signified the start of Alabama really being a presence down there, Tim? Yeah, it did. You know, 2008, you know, Alabama hit Mobile. That sort of put that class on the map when you had Julio and you had Mark Barron, you had Burton, and I'm missing, you know, four or five other guys they got. Sort of gave them that because Mobile was a hot area. Saban had dominated that area when he was at LSU, getting some of the best players, obviously, with Chavis uh, Chavis Jackson, um, Jamarcus, I forget Jamarcus. Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell was a big name, so he got a lot of good players out of there. Um, So then turned around and flipped that. You put Lance Thompson down there. That mobile success trickled over to the uh, to the panhandle where Lance did a good job. And, and, yeah, when they started dipping into South Florida with Ed, really big name right out of the gate, you know, for like, you know, in hindsight, he might not seem as big a deal as he was. But at the time, it was a big deal. It, it That was a foreign area for Alabama when it came to recruiting. Now, Bobby Williams, kind of his arrival at UA, he had had some previous ties, I think, down there in South Florida uh, at Michigan State, uh, you know, the Big Ten and other conferences like everyone else had mined that area throughout the years. And I think even Bobby's son, Nick, was a a high school player um, still down there in in South Florida. I believe Bobby had maybe worked with Nick in the Dolphins. Uh, Saban and the Dolphins and so Nick Williams Bobby's son was still at St. Thomas Aquinas a program that even to this day Alabama and so many other power five programs continues to work but um, you know we could we can go through this list and we will but in terms of impact and career sort of accolades uh, I don't know if we're going to find many better than Trent Richardson. We're going to find one better, we know, another running back in Northeast Florida as we move through this list. But um, what do you recall most about Trent's recruitment? Because what I recall is there at the end, there was that typical concern. Is he going to flip maybe to Florida? Um, what was really going on there with Trent? You know, Trent's one of our favorite recruits, just a really level-headed guy. 
super nice. I think Alabama was always in there, you know, in there pretty good uh, from the from the jump. Uh, Texas sort of made a little run in there. Florida, and especially in some of the other schools, tried to get involved. I always felt like Alabama was in pretty good shape. Lance Thompson always felt, you know, pretty confident about keeping a guy like that. I mean, there was a lot to offer at the time. I mean, he was coming in. Wasn't too far from home. He had family uh, that he wanted to stay close to. Uh, it did, it, you know, it was, a, it was a little bit tricky because you had Trent in that class and you had Eddie Lacy in that class, and that's the year Lance left, right? I think it was, uh, yeah. Sure, he went to Tennessee in the middle of the night. What was it, Alabama? Went, Tennessee yeah, he went, on a Sunday. He, uh, went there with Lane, right? Yeah. And Lane, Lane, Lane was there just for the 2009 season. Right. Yeah. So, so that would have been the time frame. That was the part it got a little bit hairy because you had – Lance, who did a great job, had been on had been on Trent. Alabama was also, you know, recruiting Eddie Lacy. Now Eddie was a low, low key four star, but he was quite the badass. I mean, if, no you, doubt. if you didn't look at his ranking and looked at his film, you loved some Eddie Lacy. So it got a little bit tricky. Um, I'd say to some degree uh, at, at that point, that that caused a lot of intrigue with Lance leading. But I thought Alabama did a really good job there locking that one up. So you you talked about the 2008 class and the impact of the Mobile and uh, kind of Baldwin County and all that area and what was a historic class. It's amazing now to think back. 19 signees in that 2008 class from the state of Alabama overall. Nuts. Um, but you get to 2010, you go without a Florida signee, and then you get into sort of central Florida uh, the Panhandle once again a little bit, even Tampa, as you get that duo of Ha Ha Clinton Dix and D Hart out of Dr. Phillips High School there in Orlando. Uh, over in Tampa, you hit a quarterback signee for the second time in four years from the state of Florida in Philip Ely. DJ Petway, Alabama signed out of Pensacola Catholic in 2011, but DJ ultimately took the junior college route. But that combination of Clinton Dix and D. Hart, uh, Orlando, not an area where Alabama had been especially active to that point, but uh, hit it hit it pretty well with Clinton Dix. And D. Hart was a really good back, just kind of caught up in a numbers game like a lot of guys at his position that have gone through here in the last 12, 13 years. Yeah, I mean, D. was a good football player. I believe we might have had him a five-star. I know Haha should have been. Uh, ha ha was the was the big one. D was that exciting, really exciting small back. And don't forget, he went to Colorado State and had quite a little career. Did some good stuff. Yeah, he did. You know, same for Philip Ely. Philip Ely transferred over to uh, Toledo, I believe. Toledo, I believe. Yeah. yeah, he was a starting quarterback for a year, I believe. So we had guys that didn't quite make it at Alabama that went other places and, and did okay. Ha ha, obviously, was the big name there. I mean, that was just a you know, a monster safety. Everybody knew coming in what a what a big deal he was going to be, and I believe that was uh, Jim McElwain. Yeah, Matt. One of the, you know, you didn't have, if you noticed, for the most part, you don't have the Alabama offensive coordinators really with a lot of areas. You'll see mm-hmm. them sort of hunkered down, but more of a position thing. And Matt went in there and got two big ones out of Orlando. Obviously, he had a little help from his friends, but uh, that that was that was a big that was a big duo to pull. 2012, you really signify your arrival in South Florida when you go down there and you get Amari Cooper out of Northwestern High School in Dade County. Also, Chris Black 
another wide receiver in that class was a highly regarded recruit, ended up transferring to Missouri from Alabama. And Eddie Williams was a five-star athlete in that class who, unfortunately, we didn't get to know Eddie all that well here in Tuscaloosa. He washed out pretty quick and was dismissed. Yeah, you know, Sashino, Eddie's still one of the most surprising stories to me because when I talked to Eddie, he was a great guy. When I talked to people around his his high school football program, they said he was a terrific kid. Uh, you know, college coaches, not I'm not talking to Alabama guys, a lot of people just thought he was a good kid. And when this when when he got in trouble, they were there was so much surprise. I don't know, again, not from the Alabama staff, from a lot of coaches, that it was Eddie who got into trouble. So that was still one of the weirdest situations. Um yeah, Chris. Chris is one of the nicest guys that, you know, out of all the recruits I've met. In fact, I took my youngest, my sons, my oldest two sons to a camp in Alabaster. And you're talking about a guy that's that's going to be probably going to be successful. He's going to find some way to figure stuff out in life. He was fantastic with those kids. He didn't know I was part of the media. He didn't know what, he, what I was until afterwards. And I was just sitting up there. There's only three parents. There's just a small event at uh, Kingwood uh, Church, where, uh, Kingwood School, where they were going at the time, and Chris was just a fantastic guy. You could see all the effort he put into that. But obviously the best player there was Coop, and Coop was so quiet, you know, quiet during the recruiting process. You know, he was one of those guys that was weird. I couldn't find enough people to love him like I did. You know, I watched his film, and I was like, this guy's fantastic. And the, the first first words I heard from him were from a, from an Alabama coach who's no longer on staff who said, we had a kid here at camp who's had the best performance outside of Julio Jones that's ever happened while we were here. And I was like, man, wow. some pretty damn good campers through there. So, you know, it was Mari Cooper, South Florida kid. So I started digging and man, that kid, he was a, he was a great, really quiet through the process. Didn't get a lot out of him. And, very business-like, and he's continued to be that. You never hear from him in the NFL. Uh, you know, just a very, you know, talented guy. And, again, you know, we talk about it. You probably tell the same story. All A lot of my friends from other uh, – who follow other teams are always saying when he was playing, is like, I don't know why we don't defend him. And I love to say they are trying to defend him. That dude's just getting open. So I've never seen a guy as wide open as Amari Cooper as much in his career. I've never seen <laughs> – how he, I mean, I would have liked to see just a breakdown on how he got 10 yards open so often. Well, just a, a huge season in 2014, put up some school record numbers that even with what we've seen the last couple of years from some of the guys that have followed him, even Calvin Ridley immediately uh, there in 2015, I, I just don't think you're going to get to Amari's reception and receiving yard numbers from 2014 with an emphasis on those two areas and we talk about Eddie Williams that was thinking back that was actually a part of a situation uh, involving DJ Petway and Tyler Hayes and so Petway was sort of forced to go the junior college route after the incident that resulted in Eddie Williams being dismissed from the team altogether Um, and so you know that's that's some some history to sort of conclude there with that situation and, and Eddie Williams now 2013. And, you know, we talk about running back signees and you go to Northeast Florida, Yuley high school, which I've been to Yuley. I'm one of the few people that can say that Tim. Uh, I haven't been in a number of years, but I remember thinking, wait a minute, 
there's this kind of prospect coming out of this town because literally back in the day, if you went through Yuley, what you were doing was you were going from I-95 north of Jacksonville and you were cutting over to the east to get to Fernandina Beach and Amelia Island. That's the only reason why you were passing through Yuley. You might stop at the Hardee's, Tim, there at the blinking light and get a biscuit or something on your way over to the beach. Uh, but Derrick Henry emerges and uh, I guess there was a time there where it looked like he might be a Georgia Bulldog, but uh, was that Jeremy Pruitt that was was involved in that situation from the Alabama perspective? Absolutely. Uh, Pruitt and a little bit, you know, not a little bit, a lot of bit of Burton Burns in there. Uh, the inter- interesting thing about Henry, he committed so early and his flip happened so quick. It really wasn't a very guarded secret um, about, about him flipping. I mean, you could see it building up. But, you know, the thing with Derek that was – that was insane was that everybody was – I mean, everybody was saying he was a linebacker. Everybody. We had our national guys saying it, and, you know, I and I understood what they were saying. I mean, this kid was six foot three, 240 pounds. He's not, he's not, you know, Barry Sanders between the tackles. He's just a big monster of a guy. He runs – you know, he's sort of a one-cut guy, plant a foot and go – and I was saying, like, from day one, you were saying, Shannon, you know, Shannon Lucky on the on the round table, we were all saying, no, he is a running back. I talked to Burton Burns about this, and he said, why in the hell would I not play him at running back? That was That's what I asked because <laughs> he said, why in the hell? He said, you tell me why he can't be a running back. And, you know, the, you know, Pruitt had the same mindset. So I don't think in Alabama's mind there was a, you know, there there was any let's recruit him and tell him he's a running back and put him where we want him. I think that was a situation where they knew they had something special and they knew they had something very unique. And that's exactly what he was. I mean, his high school, his high school videos, his high school games, his tapes were like Bo Jackson on Techno Bowl. Techno Bowl. I mean, he's just mauling people. I mean, he that's just literally a man among boys. So. Very unique guy. Very, you know, another guy that comes in with that. I'm, hey, three years, I'm going to graduate and get out of here type of kid. That same class, you go back down to South Florida and you get Eddie Jackson, who was at the time a three-star defensive back prospect, according to the composite 24-7 uh, rankings anyway, out of Boyd Anderson High School, comes to Alabama, plays some corner, then makes sort of the life-changing switch to safety and then you see him do what he can do post turnovers after uh, as a punt returner. Uh, and now Eddie Jackson, one of the very best safeties in the National Football League. Yeah, the thing with Eddie, though, that was weird. Alabama came back down to basically one more DB spot. And it was it was interesting because they had, you know, they had J- Jalen Ramsey on the table. They had Von Bell on the table. And both those guys were five stars. And yeah. I spent a lot of time on the message board saying Alabama's choosing Eddie Jackson over the other two. Because that's exactly what happened. They took Eddie Jackson. They had to make a choice. I don't think they really go by our rankings a whole lot, Nick Saban. I don't think he's uh, <laughs> I don't think he's asking uh, you know, for updated rankings or stuff like that. I think he's playing his hunches. And you know, with Eddie, he was injured the year before, showed up his senior year. And again, we've talked about how the Alabama staff does a lot of senior evaluations. That's why I sort of chuckle when everybody's panicking in May 
because Alabama's going to be recruiting just as hard this class when it comes to September, when this football season starts. You've seen a million guys they found. You know, Josh Jacobs, obviously, you know, one. Eddie Jackson is another. But his 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 senior film in Florida, he was something special. And you're right, he was special in college, and he's special in the NFL. So Alabama staff did a really great job there. And you know what? It was a no-lose proposition. I mean, if your last spot for DB is between those three guys, Ramsey Bell or Eddie Jackson, you've did a damn good job on recruiting. Yeah, you're fishing in the right pond. Yeah, if that's uh, you're at the right club on Friday night. (laughs) Now the next year, it's interesting because you go and get a back who is very similar in size and somewhat in style in Bo Scarborough, and you know he was an IMG guy. And we're going to talk about him in terms of Florida, state of Florida signees. But we all know Bo is Bo is Tuscaloosa through and through, my man. Yeah, Bo was the one that, I mean, never had the video. But I think it was my first sort of viral story I wrote because his mom told me that uh, they had, uh, they well, on their uh, in-home visit, she's karaoke saying Sweet Home Alabama was <laughs> It pisses me off to this day. That video has never surfaced, so obviously there isn't one, which makes me really irritate everybody at that house. There's quite a little party going on. Um, that happened this year. We'd have, you know, 7,000 oh, videos of it. But just the thought of Lane Kiffin with the five-star running back's mom singing Sweet Home Alabama. It's just too much to pass up. Nick Saban's doing the electric slide in the living room. You know, it's, you Oh, know, the, the TikToks. All yeah, the TikToks we'd have absolutely. today, right? So it's almost like a movie where you don't see the horror part. We didn't get to yeah. see it, but we can envision it. And I think it's even sweeter, you know, that, that we can. So Bo, obviously a tremendous athlete. Uh, people forget healthy Bo. You know, it pisses me off. People are always – I mean, I don't think people can remember this year from four years ago. I mean, I was having an argument last year that Trent Richardson – they were arguing, people in this business, that Trent Richardson was not an elite college athlete, college running back. Hmm. I was like, you're an idiot. He went two in the draft, jackass. You know, he, had, not- he, had, he had better numbers in 2011 than Mark Ingram had in 2009 when phenom- Ingram won the Heisman. He was phenomenal. Yeah. He was phenomenal. Unbelievable. Now, NFL bus career didn't work out. That's true. That's a completely different story. Um, you know, that's completely the story. Same with Bo. People forget. Get you know people say he's probably overranked. No, Bo was just go, getting go his, right. Go yeah. look at his playoff run. Are you kidding yeah. me? I Washington guess best, and Clemson before he got hurt. Two yeah. of the best defenses in the country. And he came out early. He still had a year left. You know he could have come back. At that in, point, I think in he was 2017. I think the thinking was similar to Terrell Lewis, though. You know, I don't want to have already been through the injuries. I, yeah, I don't want to have any more. You know. Check but he had two ACLs by that point he, and a broken leg. Yeah, don't forget he was hurt in high school. And yeah, when we first saw Bo Scarborough, he was a wide receiver at uh, is it, what's a Northridge? Northridge. He was a yeah. wide receiver. Um, and you know his, you know that's how much kids change. When I first saw Tim Castile, he looked like Bo Scarborough, and they were both wide uh, wide receivers. Next thing you know. One's a running back, one's a fullback, you know, both both just so much different. That's how much kids change in two years. But Bo was a player, despite the injury, he's still in the National Football League. But that guy could play. He was not he, he was ranked where he should have been. Yeah, that running back situation at Detroit right now, it's like a uh 
it's like an SEC all-star backfield, you know, because now you got DeAndre Swift in there with Kerryon Johnson and Bo Scarborough with the Detroit Lions. Now, the very next year, you get back into South Florida. You take Calvin Ridley on the heels of Amari Cooper three years earlier. Uh, you get Calvin's teammate, Sean Burgess Becker, who I believe ended up at UCF, went on to transfer out of Alabama. Uh, and you also get a, a safety by the name of Ronnie Harrison out of Tallahassee. So you'll take that you'll take that three man haul in most years out of the state of Florida. You know, you know, they say, you know, the the what's old is new. Well, there's Lance Thompson dipping in and grabbing. <laughs> <laughs> what a road Lance is in. Lance is out of our discussion. Making it right. Making yes. it right. Yes. Now we were high. Twenty four seven sports were high. Was high on Ronnie. We had him a top one hundred type player, if I remember correctly. You know, the big deal was. Why did Florida State not want him? I mean, he's right in Tallahassee, for Pete's sake. Yeah. Florida State didn't offer him, and you know we had Alabama fans questioning that. But at the time, Florida State wasn't the Bobby Bowden Florida State. That Just because they're going to Florida State in certain times, it's not the same as when Bobby Bowden was cherry-picking everybody. So uh, great read by, the, by uh, Lance Thompson, obviously. Kirby Smart would have been involved there as defensive back, defensive coordinator. Loved that kid. They loved him early on. Uh, Major Steele. I mean, he was the quiet, one of the quietest top 100 players ever and one of the most questioned in a lot of ways as well. And you got a uh, Tallahassee safety this year, Terry and Arnold, right? Over yeah. there at John Paul II. Um, maybe Alabama gets back over there for a safety for the sure 2020. Yeah, definitely in that mix right now for Arnold. Over there in tally. Um, so really, you, you get into like this stretch, Tim, of 17, 18, even 19, where it is a lot of Florida on the recruiting front. 2017, Alex Leatherwood out of the, the Pensacola area. Dylan Moses is at IMG. We know at, at his core, he's a Louisiana guy. Uh, Jerry Judy out of South Florida, a what could have been guy in Vandarius Cowan. Uh, a linebacker, Jarez Parks, you take out of there. Um, Daniel Wright, another Boyd Anderson defensive back on the heels of Eddie Jackson a few years earlier out of that program. A quarterback, a second quarterback in that class in Mac Jones. A snapper in Thomas Fletcher out of IMG. Uh, and, and again, you're just kind of getting things going because in 18 you go Sertan. Uh, you get a guy like uh, you get a guy like Josh Job who went on he finished up at cheshire academy up in connecticut but he was a miami guy in 2019 it's trey sanders out of img evan neal out of img jordan battle braylon ingram out of st thomas aquinas um that three-year stretch you look at sort of the football team Alabama's going to put on the field in 2020 we hope there's a lot of those guys that are going to be big time factors in, in what happens this season yeah, I mean, Alabama, you know, the one thing I've liked about the Saban staff, they've always just went where the talent was. Um, if it was in the state, they took it. If it was out of state, they took it. I mean, Florida, um, you don't have to be a genius to know to go to Florida to get talent, but you've got to be a really good recruiter to go to Florida and get talent. And you got to be willing to fight the fight. I mean, just, you know, as late as, you know, you know, 2019, 2020's uh, class, 2018, you saw them having to fight – some of their biggest fights for a guy like Pat Sertain or Jordan Battle. You know, that, you know Joe Panangio was down there for Alabama those years. Mm-hmm. Um, did a terrific job, worked it, you know, you know, a team guy. 
someone like Loxley was huge in Alabama, finishing off Trey Sanders and Evan Neal. I think Alabama fans will always be grateful and root for Mike Loxley, um, unless he ends up head coach at Auburn or Georgia. <laughs> but I think they will always root for him because, I mean, he was he was already named the Maryland head coach. And Alabama was doing major battle with Trey Sanders and Evan Neal, who were two of the best players in the country. And he helped, you know, he helped land those guys. So, yeah, you look, you see Dylan Moses, you know, that's another big one. Crazy story. Uh, Alabama and LSU offers in eighth grade. You know, we hear a lot of the eighth grade. Oh, this guy got an offer in eighth grade. And then we never hear from that guy again. And yeah. I think Lane Kiffin invented that, didn't he? Didn't he offer <laughs> David Seals as a seventh he grade? He did. And he, he did, ended up the quarterback. A, he ended up a damn good wide receiver at West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. I knew at least knew what an athlete looked like. So, um, but you know, a lot of those guys they get offers in eighth grade. We never hear from them again. We don't hear much. Dylan, we heard a lot about. We've never stopped hearing about him. He definitely lived up to the hype. You know, Jerry Judy continuing that tradition of wide receivers, and Pat Sertain was certainly huge. So, so much talent. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, you talk about projected starters in that three-year run in the state of Florida for this year's Alabama team. Alex Leatherwood, obviously. Dylan Moses. Um, Mac Jones, uh, potentially. Sertan. Um, Josh Job potentially. Trey Sanders, you expect a big contribution from coming off the injury. You're going to have Evan Neal as a starter on your offensive line. Yeah, there's a strong flavor from those three classes from Matt the state Jones. of Florida. Matt, Matt. You know, Mac's going to be fascinating to see where he ultimately falls in all this, right? I mean, it for a guy that was a second quarterback signee to Tua Tonga Bailoa, he could end up being a top five Saban era sign from the state of Florida before it's all said and done, Tim. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I know, look, I, I see the discussion on the board on the round table, and we love it. So you guys keep that going. You guys do a great job, especially during the – pandemic of keeping the the board interesting and lively with discussions there's a big discussion now on Bryce Young or Mac Jones and look I stand firmly in this corner Bryce Young is as talented as anybody in the country any incoming freshman in the country there's no doubt about it I mean he was number one in the nation I totally agree great prospect we saw a video of him the other day he looks thicker he's smart he's got all the intangibles with that said, it's not really an either-or. This is the competition you want if you're an Alabama head coach. Mac Jones is a legitimate player. Mac Jones has went. He's got. He doesn't just have three years in the quarterback room. He's got. Look, going to Auburn at night and battling those teams like they do. That is not for the weak. That 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 Auburn scenario has eaten people up. And he had a pretty good game. I understand he had two interceptions. That stuff happens. He uh, he's a player. And the thing I admire about him the most, regardless of if he ever starts, is this guy didn't just follow Jalen. He followed Tua. like screw it. I mean, this guy has some, you know, he's got a he's got a pair on him to go in there into that. And anybody thinking he's backing down from Bryce or Joe Willie Namath or or uh, Dan Marino is wrong. I think the kids in there to battle and his teammates love him. And I do feel like if Bryce does win the job, which I, I do, I do agree, there's a chance he will at some point. I don't know if it's the start of the year, but if he wins the job, I think Mac Jones will be his biggest fan supporting him. Uh, I think so for for sure during the the upcoming season that would be the case. And you know, look, Mac's in a great spot regardless. He's either going to be the starting quarterback at Alabama, and I still think to start the season, the chances of that being the case are 
or quite good. Um, he's going to be so good or so productive in that one season that he might have a decision to make in terms of the National Football League. I still think he's going to need another year, whether it's Alabama or somewhere else. And if it does work out that Bryce Young's too good to keep off the field, Mac's still going to have a year of eligibility left, and he's going to have plenty of outstanding tape sort of pointing to the – the, the the highlights that you pointed to uh, earlier in the discussion, uh, and, and he will be very much coveted on that market if it comes that down to that. I've seen people get super excited to land a transfer, not nearly as good as Mac Jones. Yeah, so I've seen other schools getting. So I, I would imagine that dude has a few landing spots if he chooses. And who knows? I mean, he hasn't. We've never even heard a rambling or rumbling. No. About this guy leaving, he might want to ride out his career there. I don't know what he, what he thinks his future holds. Yeah, and so as we wind down this discussion of Florida signees in the Nick Saban era, you've got a couple of three guys in this most recent class, Tim. I know you love – we both love Timothy Smith and his upside there on the defensive line. Tyu Jones-Bell, another South Florida wide receiver. Jacquez Robinson, a long, uh, you know, skillful corner. Uh, projects at a couple of different positions, perhaps from the Jacksonville area, uh, just making their way on campus here in the last few days. And then even looking ahead to this 2021 class, you already have a couple of South Florida receivers committed. So it, it's not ending, I don't think, anytime soon, Tim. No, I mean, it's just a smart thing to do. I mean, if you get the 10th best wide receiver in Florida, how good is he? It's pretty damn good, right? So you don't have to. You know, the, those, they even say it's the old you, it's the old Knowles, and it's, it's old Florida. Even when they're done taking their – say they all take four. Even when they're done, if they cherry-pick the top 12 receivers in the state, which they never do, the 13th receiver is damn good in Florida. You know, dang, NC State had coaches build entire careers on those those guys that the in-state schools didn't want. So – um, no, I don't expect it to end any time. So I'd be disappointed if they didn't recruit Florida. Yeah, I think Miami, Florida, and Florida State in some years would love to have Alabama, the state of Florida, signees. So. I don't I don't know if Mike Norvell is going to be able to recruit. Oh, jeez. But I feel like Nick Saban probably. How about, getting that, how about getting that text last night in the middle of the night? Oof. Do you think Marvin Wilson's text has been forwarded to any recruits? Oh, jeez. You think Marvin, through back channels, has been made aware that if he would like to uh, maybe make the jump to some other Power 5 programs, that oh, you, uh, he would be more than welcome to do I so. I think it'll probably get worked out. Uh, but, you know. you got uh, Here's the irony, Here's the irony, Tim. Fabian Lovett left Mississippi State, not entirely because of the Mike Leach tweet, but it, the timing and, and his – his dissatisfaction with that tweet from Mike Leach at least played a role in Fabian Lovett, a starting defensive lineman for Mississippi State, leaving. And guess where he signed? Guess where he just landed? Florida State. And now well, you've got this situation unfolding in Tallahassee. Talk about some irony uh, in all of that. Hey, let's get in. He'll probably end up drafted by the Saints. Oh, jeez. Let's get into that uh, roundtable mailbag as we get out of here on a Thursday. We've provided some topics of our own to our outstanding subscribers there at BamaOnline.com. And as usual, they've come up with some excellent questions and uh, comments of their own here in the mailbag thread on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. We'll go in order here. Jared Burns on the roundtable. 
He asked, what's your one bucket list vacation to a place that you think you'll never actually get to go to? What is that place for you, Tim? I would. I don't want to. I don't want to say I won't go anywhere. But the one that the two that seems the most unlikely, Vietnam. I don't know why wow. the Vietnam. I had the more. You know, I watched that Ken Burns documentary. Started doing some research. I didn't realize how beautiful that country is. Now I'm not sure it's a lot of lot of stuff to do. Uh, but it's beautiful. It's so unique. It's just something I've never seen. I'd like to visit. I didn't know so many people did visit. You know, I've always talked about going to Australia. And that used to be the dream. I think that's everybody's dream. But man, I'm telling, I ain't going over there. Those everything there can kill you. Well, I, I want to. It would be Australia, New Zealand for me. But it, it, let alone what could kill you when you get there. I think the flight might kill me before I even get there. You know, I mean that, that is a haul, bro. And so I would probably say I, New Zealand would probably be my pick if I had to pick one place. I, I don't think I'm going to make that trip though, Tim. I don't. I can't travel the way I'd want to travel there. I can't afford it. So you know, just uh, commercial coach, whatever. I, I just I, I can't even imagine me trying to get off the plane after what 16 hours or so. No, it was hard. I mean, it was uh, when we flew to Italy. I think it was 12 hours from Philadelphia or something, and it took it took a minute to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever ever got you know people say i don't know maybe some people are different but i couldn't sleep on a plane um it's like it's like movie it's like take it's like being in a hotel and they've taken down all the walls yeah and i'm surrounded by people i don't know i don't if i hear a move i'm sort of you know looking to see what it is just how to have it you know people walk by you you know some people are watching tv so i don't sleep well on planes if i could it would probably be a little bit different where you rest, you know, ideally we'd have slept till we landed and we'd have woke up in the morning there and it'd have been boom time. You know, we're on their schedule, but, um, I'm not wired that way. I don't know if anybody is, if they are, congratulations. So, yeah, I know like Charlie Potter, he had a plan, a trip planned to Japan, um, uh, last month actually. And that went by the boards with the virus and everything. Hawaii's far enough out there for me. And I've done that a couple of times. Good. I'm good on that. I'm going that way. Uh, we'll with go, the, we'll go the to Hawaii, trip. but I'm pretty sure that we'll fly to California and spend three days. There you go. Fly to Break Hawaii and then fly back from Hawaii and see California for three days and then fly home. Because yeah, I don't, you know, that from here to here to Philly was a two, two and a half hour trip. It wasn't a big deal. We had a four hour wait, but you know, having to fly six hours to fly seven hours, that's, that's not as much fun for me. Yeah, Crimson D247 in the mailbag. Uh, he asked, with Herb Jones announcing he's coming back for his senior season with Nate Oates and the men's basketball team at Alabama, where do we see the Crimson Tide in the SEC pecking order for the 2020-21 uh, season? And I say this, I think there are some national outlets out there that see Alabama as a is a top 20 team, Tim. So, I mean, obviously you have to start with probably more along the lines of, well, you're going to start with Kentucky pretty much every year. Um, I think Tennessee, you're going to continue to look at Auburn with Bruce Pearl and the recruiting classes that he's been able to put together. Um, Even with Andrew Nimhart transferring out of Florida, the Gators are still going to be in that mix. Uh, But I think once you get past those four or five, that's when you're going to start talking about Alabama or at least in that five or six for the, the SEC in the upcoming season. Tim, what do you think? 
Yeah, I really, you know, I'm sort of taking the wait and see approach. I love the talent they've they've you know they've they've gathered, they've amassed. I love the the athletes they've got. You know, basketball is such a gel sport. How do they play together and how do they look? I mean, it's a lot of smart basketball players, a lot of athletes. So I think they're gonna, I think they can make a push. I think there will be games where they can challenge the Kentuckys. I think there's gonna be games. I think they got a lot of guys that can defend. I still believe basketball starts with being able to defend on the college level. So, I mean, I'm looking forward. I have high expectations for this team. And as I've noticed several times, I'm a huge Nate Oates fan. Yeah, Javon Quinterly, expectations for the transfer from Villanova after the sit-out year are going to be through the roof, even with uh, Kyra moving on to the NBA. We're still waiting on John Petty, by the way, for some type of announcement in terms of his future with the NBA season being pushed back like it is. That has pushed back everything in terms of the withdrawal or stay-in process with the draft, so still some intrigue there. Now, Bama book here as we wind things down on a Thursday edition of T. Watts and T.R. Best guess at starting linebackers for game one for Alabama this season. And also, Tim, he wants your take on the Alabama offer for the Florida State quarterback commitment from just down the road or over the road there in Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's interesting because I looked at that. It's the first time I've seen that guy's film, man. He's a good football player. Uh, how do you say Luke his Altmeyer. last name? Altmeyer. Yeah, Altmeyer. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a tricky name. I like to get the – I don't want to be saying it wrong for a year. But this kid, Lou, he's a good athlete, big kid, throws the ball well. You know, it's interesting that he uh, – um, FSU's where he's committed under Mike Norville because he does remind me a lot of Riley Ferguson. And Raleigh Ferguson was a heck of a college football player. Me, personally, I like him better than the Moss kid that just went to USC that Alabama <clears> was on. And I've watched 20 quarterback films, and I would say he's in the he's in the top five or eight for me easily. Um, sounds like he's pretty firm to Florida State. Excellent commitment. Uh, excellent go and find once, you know, once Moss committed to USC, which is a weird situation with them having two quarterbacks that are in the top 100 now. Um but I, I like the offer. I like the kid. I think he's a ball player. I think if you look at his film, you'll feel the same way. He throws the ball really well. And, you know, the thing about his highlight tape, whoever did it, did a great job because I can see every throw in his film. He Every single throw you want, you can see in his film. It's literally a highlight tape. Best guess at starting linebackers. I'll go, well, you, you dang sure hope it's Dylan Moses right there in the middle, right? Coming off the knee injury. And then you think more along the lines of maybe some veterans uh, on the outside. Uh, Josh McMillan obviously will be back in that mix on the inside as well. You invested. I think Christian Harris is a starter regardless uh, at inside linebacker, perhaps to go along with Dylan Moses. And then you get on the outside and you hope that Christopher Allen is where he needs to be at this point in his career. Um, And maybe. What about King Wakuda, Tim, and then these freshmen? I mean, Will Anderson, Drew Sanders, Chris Braswell, Q Robinson. You can go on and on there. Man, I think Will Anderson's going to be hard to keep off that field. I don't know if he's a starter, but I think, you know, and, and of course, King's got that edge flash you want. I think if anybody can come off that edge and get to that quarterback, um, hopefully with Barmore, you know, pushing that pocket in, I think they're going to have a chance to play. Will Anderson, as we've noted, had one of the quickest and fastest and most well-earned, most-deserved rise in the rankings I've ever seen. Just an unbelievable uh, prospect, unbelievable work ethic. Uh, He's going to be hard to keep off the field. 
And the big question as we really get out of here, hard shell, soft shell, soft shell taco, Tim. One of my guys says it's a burrito. I disagree. Cause you, don't really, <laughs> you don't really have. I see his point, but I, you don't really have like on a burrito. Is a hot dog a sandwich? You see, no, we won't even go down that road. Let's is stick a with a taco. It is a sandwich if my wife forgets hot dog buns. So <laughs> yes, it, my, yes, it is. So um, I think that uh, I would go soft shell simply because I can get my sauce in there where I want it easier. Right. See, for me, it, it, it's all dependent upon the protein. If we're talking about ground beef, I, I want it in a in a hard shell. I want that tradition. That's a taco to me, a hard shell taco with ground beef. Now, if it's chicken or a fish taco, I prefer the soft the uh, soft shell, uh, which then it becomes in some ways a fajita even too, right? Depending on the the, the mix-ins. Ah. All right. Well, we were going to get into a yeah we're we were going to get into a potential uh, soprano spinoff shows but we've run out of time here so we'll have well, to save we'll, that one maybe for we'll next address week. that yeah, we will get to that next week though as always though we really appreciate the input there in the bama online roundtable mailbag we got to get out of here tim thanks as always good stuff my man thanks man appreciate it there he goes for tim watts travis ryer thanking you once again for joining us here on t watts and tr part of the built by bama online podcast have a great rest of your thursday everybody Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.